You are listening to Keep Canada Weird, a weekly weird news roundup by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to my weekly Keep Canada Weird discussion series. If you're new here and Keep Canada Weird, my pal Handsome Aaron Airport and I seek out and explore some of the more offbeat Canadian news stories from the past week. In tonight's episode, which we recorded during the evening of June 21st, 2022, we discuss plastic, topless women, a vigilante, and the arrest of a 92-year-old priest. So let's get to it. Handsome Aaron Airport, it's an absolute honor to be with you tonight. An honor? Oh, well, I'm honored that you're honored. I'm beyond honored. Beyond. Oh, my God. So there's not even a word for how honored you are. You're just beyond honored. No, um, there is a like, word for You're it. like beyond meat. What a fad, eh? Should we just start complaining right now about stupid food fads again? Because beyond meat is one. Isn't it the real reason people listen to this show? Yeah. They're like, when will they address beyond meat? Well, now. Who wants now, that? Who wants it? What's 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 the deal with it? Like this idea of um, like a hot dog. Like what's in a hot dog? You know, is it f- it's if it's not all beef? Like would they what weird stuff do they put in there? You wouldn't eat a hot dog if you knew what was in there. Could you imagine what's in like Beyond Meat? Like a guy in a lab coat brings out like a beaker and he's like, I think if we put this in, I thought we had it. I thought you know years before Beyond Meat, we've had the veggie burger this entire time. Yeah. Oh, you're. It's just marketing right beyond meat is just like i think that may even be a brand name of well it's some kind of isn't it some kind of a yeah it's a lab created meat or something isn't it but like the veggie burger is far superior to the to the beyond meat burger uh i don't know especially if you get like a well especially if you get a black bean burger you know those are delicious Mm. uh but but do people who don't eat meat like are they just beating down doors wanting burgers you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I don't know. I Because I, I would think like people who like rather than a veggie burger, wouldn't they just like be like, I just want a really nice salad maybe with tofu. I don't know. Anyway, let's not get into yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Um, <laughs> but that was a good distraction because I'll tell you, I had uh, uh, the last couple of days have been pretty turbulent. How have your days been? Oh, my days have been good. I've been busy. I, today, actually, I got a brand new furnace and oil tank installed. What? That's a big yes. deal. Yes, it is. In my world, it is. Were there a bunch of like strange people coming up and down your basement stairs lugging stuff? How did they get the old oil tank out? The oil tank is outside. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that was very easy for them to replace and remove. And then the furnace, yeah, it was fairly easy as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. but they were there all day. So, you know, I had them, me and the cat stayed upstairs. Mm. Um, with That probably the- made your cat nuts, right? Well, I stayed up here with him for most of the day. I went down to East and, you know, kind of check in on things every now and then. But um, I knew he'd be freaked out up here alone with the door shut in one of the rooms. So so I kept him company and he was, uh, you know, very appreciative of that. That's nice. But um, then I did leave him to mow the lawn. Oh. Yeah. You can't really take him with you. Although I have seen... Uh... Someone with a backpack. It looked like a regular backpack, but it had this kind of like plastic, see-through plastic bubble on it. And there was a cat sitting in the backpack, like looking around through the bubble. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Did you not mow the lawn with like a kind of rig like that on your back? Listen, I mean, first off, uh, there's nothing natural about those backpacks. I think Mm. that, I don't think the cat likes that. It's It's the beyond meat of cat carriers. I challenge anyone to convince me that a cat enjoys, would prefer being in that to just being in a room in your house. <laughs> but um, like, you know, I it's I have an indoor cat. I don't want him. He right now, he's been indoors his entire life. He fears the outside. He's curious of it, but he's but he's very timid of it. Mm. And I want to keep him that way because I don't want him getting outside to all the various dangers that lurk around every yeah. corner. Let, leave them innocent for as long as they can be and they don't need to mm. don't need to rush them into that world um let me tell you what happened to me i was i could roll the canadian crime intro for this i'm not going to because it wasn't necessarily a crime it was a suspicious person so a couple day, two days ago i was uh in my living room doing something i think i was cleaning or walking around playing guitar to myself or something and i just happened to notice like a couple kids like at the end of my driveway outside and the only reason they stood out is one of them had like a hood up 
and a face mask on. So I was like, that's mm. a kind of a weird way to be standing outside. Like maybe he's very cautious. Anyway, I didn't think any much of it other than just notice them out of the corner of my eye. Uh, moments later, moments as in 15 minutes or so, I was in my kitchen like cooking and my phone buzzed, giving me a notification telling me that my video doorbell detected motion. Oh, and I look, wow. I look at my phone and sure enough, it's one of the three kids that I saw. Um, and he's kind of like, at my door where I have, there's just like, I don't know, there was like my, um, just a couple random, I think my son's backpack and a couple other things were like just by the door. Uh, and it, also my car was there. So he was kind of like in between my car and like a pile of just kind of stuff that was leaning against my door. I just looked at him for a split second and knew he was either trying to take that stuff or trying to get in my car or something. This is mm. at say four thirty, five o'clock broad daylight. Wow. Wow. So, really? Yeah. So anyway, being um, extremely brave, I opened my door and startled the kid like crazy uh, and when I say kid, he was probably 17 or something. Okay. So then, yeah, th that's when you're, you know, they're getting large enough that they could, you know, probably take you down. Yeah. He was, at, he was probably the same size as me, this kid. Mm -hmm. And, um, I asked him what he was doing and he's like, uh, uh, I'm looking for my friend. Is this my, uh, 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 and I'm like, what's your friend's name? And he's like, uh, 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 then I told him like, I was like, get out of here. Uh, he started walking down my driveway to leave and, uh, as he's walking away, I, I was kind of following him, make sure he left. And I asked him why he came to my yard house. And he said, uh, my friends told me to. And then there was like these, I realized he's walking to these two other kids that were the other kids with him. So I confronted the group of them. And um, wow. Yeah, I was, I'm lucky I didn't get my butt kicked. If I were them, I would have completely killed you. <laughs> I, uh, I realized that the one who came to my yard was kind of the brazen one because the other two were terrified that like an adult was coming over. Uh, and they very quickly threw this, the guy who came to my house under the bus saying, he wanted to go up there. He wanted to go up there. Uh, we didn't tell him to do it. And he's like, and then he started turning on them like, you guys told me to. And then they all started arguing. Um, and eventually I just told them never come near my house again. And they walked off. Wow. Good for you. You know what I did next? Did you call the police? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the police uh, said like, it's not really a crime to come up by your door, but like, yeah, they shouldn't have. And, so. and then the, key, the police officer is like, thanks for wasting my time. Yeah. No, actually, I showed the police officer on my phone um, the vi the video that my video doorbell captured. And right away, the cop said, I know that kid. So uh, I, I have a feeling yeah. it's or I know that guy. So it's certainly not the first mm -hmm. time I probably I'm just lucky that I had a video doorbell. And for anyone out there who uh, this is not an ad, but I like video doorbells. Like I have a ring one. Those things are so amazing. They, mm -hmm. I, I feel they make me feel more secure than my security system, which costs you know ten times more money than the ring doorbell. You get to see yeah. anyone come into your door. You can talk to them in real time, and mm -hmm. it's all archived. So if any weird creeps are in your driveway or at your door late at night, the next morning you can see what you missed, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I have a similar camera. It's not the doorbell, but I have, you know. A camera that does the same thing you know i can talk through it 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 alerts me whenever it detects motion you know mm -hmm. and there's a lot of different ones on the market so you can pick your poison oh certainly well anyway that was uh that was my experience over the last few days i'm frazzled and razzled but everything is back to normal and i'm ready for the best time of the week which is tuesday nights where you and i keep canada weird Mm, yeah, uh, so weird. It is so weird. It was weird that those kids did that, but also like a bit. Well, not so much weird. I mean, you and I have both been teenagers before, and yeah. we've we've done some things. I know, and that's always what I think of when someone kid, like when some young person does something that bugs me. I think I would, I was so much worse. Oh my god, yeah, I've done way worse than what that kid did. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get into it. We have a full show. We we don't have a specific theme tonight, although sometimes the theme sort of reveals itself as we start talking. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. in short, in tonight's episode, again, we have a mixed bag. We're going to talk about an arrested priest who's 92 years old. We're going to talk about plastic. We're going to talk about topless women and the right for them to be topless and the fight for them to be topless. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to get into the war over a vigilante in small town New Brunswick. I like the way you pronounce that. Vigilante. Vigilante. How do you say it? Vigilante. 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 
vigilante. Okay. Not to get into a pronunciation war here for the eighth time on this since we started this show. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get uh, maybe some voicemails on that. Yeah, What's I the think proper it's way? vigilante. I think <clears throat> is the proper pronunciation. I always hear it uh, vigilante. All right. Well, we'll figure that out later. I'm going to Google it when we're done. Well, we have, uh, I've introduced the stories, but I want you to tell me where we start with this because this is going to be a bumpy ride because this is going to be taking us from one story to a completely detached uh, story in terms of theme, genre, and content. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to start this? Um, let's start off with. Should, well, let's go with the plastic since I just saw you drinking out of your metal straw. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been using metal metal, and I actually have a few glass ones as well. Um, anyway, the reason that was a good segue is because single-use plastics are a big um, topic of interest for retailers, people who care about the environment, people who are in waste management. Uh it's such a concern. Well, I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, but it's it's a concern to the point that government legislation is actually banning single-use single plastics in Canada by the end of 2025. Uh, that, that is when the full ban is set to start. And that, that is likely not news for a lot of people. I think people are aware that this is coming and that there's a move to get rid of single-use plastics. Uh, we probably, on a day-to-day basis, where you see it most, again, is when you go to a restaurant, not a restaurant, like a takeout place, you may have the paper straw or the weird wooden um, fork and knives uh, that that you get. I don't mind the paper straw. Uh, some people complain that it gets soggy, but that's only really if you have your drink for an extended period of time. And if you're screwing with your straw, like chewing on it and bending it stuff, if you just open something and drink it, I think the... The, pla- the straw the paper works. Straws. The paper the the paper straw works perfectly fine if you just use it normally. In any inconvenience that a paper straw introduces is certainly worth the the like the the other side of that is the amount of straws that it, mm-hmm. it diverts from landfill and whatever else. But let me I'm going to read you a short article because there's been some kind of updates and clarifications within this ban. You could call it the beginning of the end for many single-use plastics. Ottawa rolling out its plan to cut plastic waste in an effort to help the environment. Now, we've been seeing the shift away from single-use plastics. A number of grocery stores have already eliminated plastic bags. Many fast food restaurants offer paper straws, but the federal government is looking to make this more widespread. The federal government has unveiled its framework, banning companies from importing, making and selling six single-use plastics items. Beginning this December, straws, takeout containers, grocery bags, cutlery, stir sticks and plastic rings used to hold six cans or bottles together will all be phased out. Federal data shows in 2019, more than 26.7 billion of those items were sold across Canada. We selected the items that are on these regulatory lists because they're commonly found in the environment. And they can harm wildlife, their habitat, they are hard to recycle, and they have available alternatives. Meanwhile, a coalition of plastics makers has sued the government for labeling those items as toxic and will be arguing in court later this year. The plastics industry insists that better waste collection and recycling are the answer, but that's only because they want to keep making more and more plastic and let someone else deal with the fallout. Now, in addition to banning the use of those plastics, the government says it also wants to ban exporting those items by the end of 2025, making Canada among the first countries to do so internationally. The amount of like plastic garbage that has come out of my house and yeah. been involved in my life over the last 10 years alone. And there's just like, it's just so much of it. And but- like, yeah, like we, you know, I recycle, but like, I don't know a lot of people that take the straw out of a, you know, a plastic straw out of a, out of a fast food cup mm-hmm. and recycle that. Like some people probably do, but I'd say most people throw the entire you know, takeout cup in the garbage. Mm -hmm. And then the idea of like the single use plastic and targeting that I think is it's really smart because it's it's what I've seen lately is I'm really realizing how many items have 
or things that I buy regularly have just a little tiny piece of plastic that is just so disposable. Um, and, and you're, I'm realizing it as they're switching to, you know, paper or the bamboo or whatever, like we talked about the straws and the cutlery at, at, um, you know, at McDonald's or whatever it is. But, um, I actually, I just noticed today I opened a loaf of bread and you know, like the little plastic thing that keeps mm-hmm. the bread bag shut, mm-hmm. uh, the bread that I had, those were made of like, just like a, like a heavy kind of cardboard. And just let oh, me. Okay. So, and it's not corrugated cardboard. So, rather than th- that being a little piece of plastic I throw in the garbage or whatever, it's a little piece of paper that I just throw in my compost bin. It's, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, just I think the issue is is that yes, like you know, theoretically, you you know you can recycle plastic and recycle it back into the Canadian economy, you know, and it gets used for something else. Um, but like. The issue is that a lot of people, even when recycling, aren't doing that, you know, aren't recycling those little things, you know, they're throwing them in the garbage. Um, And then probably too, like the, you know, the wooden or cardboard, you know, twist ties or whatever, like they're getting thrown in the garbage too, I'd imagine. Certainly. Most people just with little things are not going to recycle them. Yeah. And then also there's this whole question of even if you do recycle it, where does it even go and how, like what waste is involved in that whole thing? But either way, it's like the whole like, um, like reduce, reuse and recycle that we were taught in school, that order that those words are put together is the priority. Like if you can reduce the use of the plastics, that's best. If you can't reduce it, or if you've reduced it to capacity, you want to find a way to reuse it in some way. You go to a takeout place and your food comes in this nice plastic that you can wash and reuse. Great. But if mm-hmm. you can't reduce it, if you can't reuse it, the next best thing, I guess, rather than throwing it away, is to recycle it. But it takes energy and whatnot. But I yeah, think yeah. the you know using that kind of methodology is this ban on single-use plastics is forcing manufacturers and businesses to look at all avenues to reduce the amount of them that were the, uh, the amount of single use or just plastic in general that we're using. And so far it's been a success. Um, another thing I'm waiting for, I, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but I saw a and W bought the right to use this new kind of like coffee cup. That's a takeout coffee cup that doesn't use a plastic top. So like Tim Hortons have the, the paper yeah. thing with the plastic that sits on it. Um, there's some new version that A&W is going to be using apparently in Canada that is like a full paper cup almost. It almost sounds like a juice box for coffee or something, Mm -hmm. but apparently in other countries it's being used and people are loving it. But the whole thing, I guess, is compostable, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. And that's the key is that like, even if it, at least if it goes to a landfill, like, like plastic's going to sit around forever, you know, whereas at least if it's compostable, it's going to, you know eventually deteriorate and go back into the earth but mm-hmm. um a and w is really coming after that coffee market yeah I, know, they're I really flexing their muscle here I, i've tried their coffee it was always that van hoot coffee or van hout however you say it uh someone please correct me well let's move on to the next topic here because we got a full card single-use plastics are coming but are women's rights to go topless in public coming in all parts of Canada. Uh, a battle in Montreal is um, underway now to get them the rights to do that. Uh, let's talk a bit about this. Mm-hmm. Are you aware, uh, before we got into this, did you see any of the articles going around about the protests in Montreal for women to go topless after Quebec City police harassed a sunbathing woman? Do you know no, I haven't. No, I haven't okay. seen any of the articles. Um I don't Google uh, topless as much as you do, so yeah, it just happened to come up in my topless. <laughs> yeah, it just happened. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. I go on Google Images and I search like topless Canada filtered topless. by news. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so listen to this: After a young woman in Quebec City was hassled by multiple police officers for sitting on a blanket topless knitting while smoking a cigarette on a sunny day, a topless demonstration took place on Sunday in Montreal. When Alice Lacroix read the news that a young woman in Quebec City was recently approached by several police officers for being topless in a park, 
She knew she wanted to do something to raise awareness. It's legal to be topless and people are still calling the cops, making a complaint that a woman is topless even though it's perfectly legal. So at the very least, uh, we're, gonna, we're teaching people today, you, you can be bothered, you have the right to be bothered and I have the right to be topless. She says the over-sexualization of women's bodies starts early with certain dress codes for women in schools and the argument that women's bodies are distracting to men. She says society should be teaching men to be responsible for their own emotions. Why are we so focused on women's breasts as in, oh, I don't want to see that? Everything else in your life that you don't want to see, you have no problem looking away. Why is it different from women's breasts? Because we don't want to see women in control of their bodies. And she hopes an event like this will make people question why society governs women's bodies differently than men's. Iman Kassam, CTV News. Seeing like a... A man topless laying on the ground. Um, I, I don't find any more like, I don't know. I just don't see the difference between that and a woman other than kind of the social taboo that yeah, exists. Yeah, I guess it's just the, um, you know, how much more sexualized breasts are than than on a, on a woman than on a man, I guess. Uh, over the, you know, over the course of society you know civilization i guess I well, yeah or even just like recent civil i'm sure there's yeah like things like this will probably come and go with the era but it's if it's i guess there's a few issues at play here for one is the question of um should women be allowed to be topless in public and i think we probably are both on the same page like yeah who gives mm -hmm. a shit is kind of what i think yeah yeah absolutely if they want to go for mm -hmm. it and they can also wear shorts <laughs> or whatever else they want to do and it's mm -hmm. it's not like a sexual thing and and it's yeah I, I think if somebody is offended by it it's about that person more than the person who's laying topless knitting on a sunny day it's like just don't go over and look at them it could be you know this i don't know yeah i, don't, I just don't get it i think uh people we live in such cramped quarters so on top of ourselves a lot of ways uh if you're in a city you need to just like be able to live with people and not be affected by the differences. Like if we can be empathetic to each other and allow people to live their lives, you know, as long as they're not hurting other people and I don't, you know, then all for, I'm all for it. And I don't see mm -hmm. how this lady having a cigarette, I'm, I'd be more upset about her smoking, uh, let alone being topless knitting. But anyway, that's, I was surprised the article mentioned smoking because what does smoking have to do with her boobs? I, th I think what they wanted to get the point, the point they wanted to get across is that she was laying there chilling. She's like laying mm -hmm. on a blanket in the sun, relaxing, having a cigarette. That's yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what um, I get out of it. Yeah. I mean, obviously like, you know, if men can take their shirts off, women should be able to take their shirts off in in public, you know, in a public park or whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, I find it, um when men take their some men find any temperature excuse to take their shirt off like walking down the street or whatever yeah they just you know like, open up the like gun as show. soon as it gets you know five degrees above zero it's like all right taking my shirt off whenever i go for groceries you know <laughs> like you just you're driving down it's like just to start a spring and you just see dudes walking down the street with no shirt on and i'm like why why are you so apt to take your shirt off well they're hot show. good good for them like just yeah, like i said I guess, it's not yeah. hurting you. that maybe they no, that doesn't hurt me but i find that more offensive than i would a woman walking down the street um because i would understand like you know you, you want to give them some sun and it's it's probably good you know to to have these are parts of the bodies that doesn't don't get exposed to the sun very often so yeah but i, I just don't see the difference between uh, um there is no difference no not yeah. in reality there is no difference it's just some people have hang-ups about it and some people don't so mm. people have hang-ups um, about a lot of things but, but how about this though the other issue that we see is so it's it's like the article it explains it's not illegal there's no laws being broken no. here so what why would the police show up in the first place? It's like if I if I called and I said, you know, there's a woman uh, sunbathing topless and that's not illegal. Why would they do something versus if I called and said there's a woman knitting in the park here? And they'd be like, mm -hmm. you know, is, is there what else is she doing? Nothing. She's laying there knitting. Oh, that's not a crime, ma'am. Like they, they shouldn't just mm -hmm. investigate and approach people who are doing things that aren't like if a crime is not 
had not occurred. Um, and then the idea of, we don't know how this interaction happened, but one cop shows up in something that happens. It seems like she probably challenged him, but it results in him leaving and coming back with five more officers. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. how does that end? Because she didn't do anything illegal. They don't charge her with anything. Do they just all come back and like, we just, you know. Hopefully it wasn't like, you got to check out this topless girl at this park and, uh, you know, why don't you come back and we'll all handle it together. I, I hope not, but I wouldn't put it past Hopefully them. not. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> who knows how that interaction went. But but certainly, yeah, there there's no difference between a man with a shirt off and a woman with her shirt off. And um, if it's not illegal, just let her, let her do her thing. Do her thing. It's a park. It's a park. We're all there to enjoy it in our own ways, as long as we're not hurting anybody else. Yeah, what, she wasn't like running around trying to breastfeed people or something. Like, it's just she's doing her thing. And if she was, I mean, you know, with the cost of food these days and inflation. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm not. We're not going to transition from this story to the story of the priest. With this, that would be inappropriate. Let's get into the uh, the vigilante. The vigilante, yeah. Vigilante. Um, have you ever heard of McAdam, New Brunswick? Uh, no, no, me neither. Not before this story. This yes. story has appeared in my newsfeed on and off for the last week or so. Uh, I've also got emails from people um, suggesting that this would be a good topic for a standalone episode of nighttime as people in New Brunswick in the McAdam area are very fired up and rightfully so. This is kind of a multi-part kind of story. We could break this down in a few different ways, but it, it all starts around a man in McAdam being arrested and charged for taking the law into his own hands. Family and supporters of Billy McGillicuddy left the Fredericton courthouse this afternoon, upset he wasn't with them. McGillicuddy was denied bail after being arrested and charged with confinement, assault with a weapon and pointing a firearm, among others. The details are under a publication ban, but many McAdam residents are supporting the accused, saying they've had to take justice into their own hands, unsatisfied with the response from RCMP to crime in their community. The New Brunswick RCMP have responded, saying in part, we need the public to understand the role police play in conjunction with courts, governments and communities and the complexity of the work we undertake every day. There are no quick solutions regarding crime. These issues are not just unique to McAdam. I mean, obviously, the vigilanteism is unique currently to McAdam, uh, but we do want to provide citizens with a sense of safety, a real sense of safety. New Brunswick Public Safety Minister Bill Hogan has been speaking to the mayor of McAdam and a public meeting is in the works, which will include the RCMP. I think it's truly unfortunate that it happened. Uh, I'm disappointed that citizens have been driven to that point um, because what we want to do is citizens, we want citizens to feel safe so they don't have to resort to that. And we're going to look and see what options we have available. McAdams Mayor Ken Stanick says the community has had trouble with crime, mostly drug motivated, for years. He told CTV News he is disappointed McGillicuddy was denied bail, but is hopeful that this time something might be done to ensure people in the village can feel safe in their own homes. Uh, what, what do you make of this kind of small town uh, rallying against crime? A man stands up for himself, as I can only assume, reading between the lines, and uh, the law doesn't seem to allow that. Yeah, like, where does the law draw the line in terms of reasonable, um, you know, when somebody is on your, like, you know, oh, I guess it's not similar to your situation, whereas you weren't in danger but if somebody breaks into your home you're allowed to protect yourself within reason mm -hmm. what is what is the line like you know yeah well in the context of this story sadly we don't know at this point what actually happened but yeah that's yeah. what i'm wondering like what led up in the moments 
what are the actual where, circumstances of this, yeah. the gun and the baseball bat? Like, did he, you know, hear somebody broke into a shed and showed up at the guy's house with a gun and a bat? Or did he wake up in the middle of the night and the guy's in his house, so he, you know, fought back with a gun and a bat? I think, you know, if let's say if those are the two options we have to choose from, if somebody commits a crime against you, I don't think it's responsible or, or should be allowed for you to go to their house and get them. But if I wake up mm. and someone's in my house, man, I would say all bets are off. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not like you can hold them in your house and torture them. But if I wake up and someone's in my house, I should be allowed to defend my family. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, but I think in a case like that, let's say you wake up and you're defending your family. You, I guess you maybe you need to do it knowing that or, or kind of rolling the dice that that may end up in court and you may need to defend yourself in court uh, mm -hmm. to, to show that your actions, you know, weren't uh, over the line in any way. Like, um, I don't know. I, I don't know where I stand on that. And then it almost gets into a, a debate about it's almost like the the entry level into a or the entry point into a debate about gun control and everything like should you just be allowed to just blast someone because you're in their they're in your house i don't know yeah i don't think you should be allowed to blast somebody like you know unless you know that person has a gun as well mm -hmm. um and is coming into your house then it's like okay it's it's kill or be killed at that point because this person has a gun and and i have a gun to protect myself so that's a little different if the person is coming in you know unarmed and you blast them i think that's a bit of a you know tricky situation yeah but but also if i'm just in my and i'm just playing devil's advocate here if i'm just in my house and someone comes in do i owe it to them to like you know get a good look like does he have a knife if he has a knife then i should get a knife yeah it's yeah like or look at him like should i fight this guy like do you, can i take him and protect my kids if he's bigger than me i should grab a knife but i shouldn't go too far i almost think like if he's in my house and i have a rocket launcher next to my bed i think me i'm probably like i'm gonna shoot this guy with a rocket launcher and figure the rest out in court if that's what ends well, up yeah because i mean i can't say what i would do in that situation you're like you know you may get so amped up and scared in the moment that you know it's just what you do you know you just do it to to end it as quick as possible protect you and your family you know as mm -hmm. effectively as possible like you're you're who knows how you would if you've never been in that situation, how you would handle it and how rationally you'd be able to think in the moment. Mm -hmm. I, I uh, think you, whatever you do, I think you just need to like, I don't know how the law should be written to accommodate this, but I think whatever you do in, in that case, yeah, you should be able to justify it in a courtroom when emotions have cooled later. Mm-hmm. But that's I guess you of... have to think pretty quick though to, you know, if you're in the moment and you're and someone is in your house and you're not sure if they have a gun or not, and then you're in this moment, like how rationally can you think and how quickly can you think in that moment? But I, I think like, a part, okay, of, the, I, a part of the justification could be I woke up, someone was in my room and I keep a gun, you know, wherever. And I, I pulled it and shot. I'm, uh, you know, I shot him in the head. Then, it, then maybe that's like oh, that. You went too far. I shot him in the leg. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It's it's like it's just it's a really slippery slope and a complicated issue that I yeah. think I'm sure government uh, hasn't been able to write laws that you know adequately handle it. But I think ultimately it needs to be. You just need to. I, I feel like it should be done in a way that you need to be able to justify what you do. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, they leave it somewhat vague the way it is now and probably because that's just the best they can come up with because you don't want it getting to the point where okay, if anybody comes on your property without your permission, you're legally allowed to shoot them. Mm -hmm. You know, because then, you know, somebody steps on your lawn and, you know, you blast them. It's like, well, legally, you know, I didn't want them on my lawn, so yeah, so shot the guy. Yeah, but it's but I think like 
almost uh, if you hear of uh, like civil suits about negligence and stuff, um, you know, like slip and fall accidents on someone's stairs or something. And there's these kind of like uh, legal motions where they're trying to figure out like, was the owner of the stairs actually negligent? Did he go, you know, did he not take care of them and put salt on them? Or were the stairs crumbling and a safety hazard? And all this stuff is kind of looked at and considered and then a decision is made i almost think with like self-defense and vigilant uh, in a home it, it almost should be done that same way like they should consider the circumstances and what you did and make a decision of if it was reasonable for for cert for you know an average person to do that in that situation and that's kind of how it should come down but that that almost kind of goes against the discussion about the the idea of a vigilante isn't so much like the story that we have in McAdam using the term vigilante is generally not self-defense and defending your home vigilante more so is someone who takes the law into their own hands mm -hmm. it's and, batman yeah and batman actually is a vigilante yeah and actually goes and gets the guy and yeah. i think that is a different discussion because i i don't think that is the right thing to do no no you Be should never go and take the law into your own hands because then you know because you're putting yourself game, at risk and the, you know yeah. you, if you start driving around with guns and stuff approaching people play, playing cop um not to say the cops are perfect but they, no. they have a better job of not hitting a random person or you know shooting someone who's innocent and there's a misunderstanding than you know a pack of vigilantes but that said, it seems like in this case, in McAdam, it seems like this has been something boiling for a while. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people in this community who don't feel that police are doing the job. Mm -hmm. and, they, and which has led to, you know, the pastor of a church taking the law into their own hands. So that's like, that's a different issue. And I don't know how you deal with that. If the police are sucking, it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's a bit of a political matter for one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah. And where, you know, where do you draw the line with taking the law into your own hands where you say, you know, the police aren't doing their job. But then, you know, whereas this guy, everyone's like, yeah, you know, like he he did the right thing because he couldn't get the police to act quick enough to, to handle this situation. But then who is to say the person you know, the next person who feels they're wronged in some way and goes and takes a law into their own hands mm -hmm. and, it, and feels it's justified. It's a very slippery slope. Um, yeah. And, and our whole legal system is based on, you, you know, the collection of evidence and making informed decisions on guilt and innocence. Generally, vigilante justice doesn't include these kind of processes uh, that are kind of serve as the core of our criminal justice system for better mm. or worse. And because of that, I just, I can't get behind vigilante justice um, yeah. for that reason. But I think in this case, what he did, this guy is going to wind up as, and whether or not he, these charges stick or whatever, um, he's almost going down as a martyr for his community because it has certainly sh shown a shine, a bright shown it has certainly gone where's Sean? it has certainly projected a bright light at issues in his community that are going to need to be addressed and if and maybe that means a little more funding to hire another cop or two but something has to be done if it gets to yeah. this point and if and if you actually yeah. have the mayor showing up backing this guy up that's the thing yeah clearly in this situation there's there's a large issue with the um you know, the police force and, and how effective it is and understaffed it is, you know, in that area. And clearly that needs to be addressed ASAP. Mm -hmm. um, well, let's move on. This actually, this is going to be a, a good segue because we've just been talking a lot about justice. Um, a topic that come that and something I think a lot about is when you see a story of like this super old man or woman getting arrested for in their last years of life for a crime they committed, you know, 60 years ago or something, you know, is that justice and is that appropriate? And what kind of issues are, you know, to be discussed with that where, where I think of it, 
uh, I was watching for a while um, the show, actually it was a documentary series, about hunting kind of the last known, or no, the, the last Nazis? surviving Nazis. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, they were trying to have them arrested and brought to justice before they died. So it's basically kind of like hunting down, like, you know, this guy's 96 and, you know, he may have months to live, so we got to get him in jail. Um, the story that came up in the news kind of brought back some of my feelings about that. This uh, is... a a very deep and complicated story because it involves a lot of huge issues for Canadians or people around the world. But ultimately, it's the story of a 92-year-old man who is charged following an investigation into historic sexual abuse at a Manitoba residential school. A priest who worked at a residential school in Manitoba has been charged with a sex crime. Sometimes you wonder if they were believed, right? So now the truth has come out. Following an 11-year investigation into sex abuse allegations at the former Fort Alexander School on sagging First Nation, RCMP arrested 92-year-old retired priest Arthur Moss at his Winnipeg home on a charge of indecent assault. Mounties say the alleged offence occurred between 1968 and 1970 when the victim, a woman, was a 10-year-old student at the school. The victim in this case has endured a lot throughout the investigative process and has stood firm in speaking out about what happened to her. The most important thing to her today is she was hurt. The school opened in 1905 and closed in 1970. Following a ground search at the former site last year, the First Nation reported this month 190 anomalies were discovered. It's not yet known if any bodies are here. News of a criminal charge has brought some relief to the community. I think that's just like justice slowly coming to light. Like maybe that'll give some families some comfort. For many, it is also triggering painful memories. It's going to re-traumatize our membership, right, that attended the school again. Anytime that we talk about it, something comes up. As to why only one charge and one suspect, Mounties say there are challenges with the passage of time. Victims and potential suspects have since died, and for some, it's just too difficult to talk about. RCMP say the case is closed, but if more allegations come forward, it would follow up. Well, that's very much a possibility. With one coming forward, something having the courage, you might have others. None of the allegations have been tested in court. Moss was released with conditions and is set to appear in Powerview Court July 20th. Meantime, the Archdiocese of St. Boniface has issued a statement saying in part it's, quote, deeply saddened by the events and circumstances that have led to the RCMP arrest on June 16th, 2022 of Father Arthur Moss, an oblate priest. We cannot comment directly on the case as the Fort Alexander Indian Residential School was operated and managed by the Oblate Fathers and not by our Archdiocese. Nevertheless, we wish to express our profound concern and sorrow to the alleged victim, as well as to her family and to all those who have been affected. The Archdiocese of St. Boniface has a parish in Saging First Nation. We wish to express our shame and sorrow. We wish to listen, to ask for forgiveness, and to learn how the people of Saging might allow us to be part of their healing and reconciliation. Again, a lot of heavy topics within this story, but I think ultimately, the one that I think we're best qualified to discuss, you arrest a 92-year-old for something that happened 50 years ago. How do you... How do they treat that? What is it like bringing a 92 year old to justice? They got away with it. Is the they got away it. with it. They were an adult when they committed it. Like they only have maybe at best another few years left, you what know, the, but, but that said, it's, um, it's like they need, these people need to face justice for what they did. So you can't just kind of throw in the towel and be like, man. No, you can't just say, oh, well, whatever. You know, they, it, you have to have some kind of. And the victim deserves to see. Well, it's closure. Well, I don't know if it's full closure, but it's it's some closure for the victims. And even if you can take away like their last couple years of freedom and get in, you know, and maybe have your you know, you're saying court and here, you know, the verdict, you know, he's guilty. Like, like maybe that just gives, I, I wouldn't know because I've never been through it, but I can only imagine that that's something for a victim that helps with healing. You know, I mean, he's 92. He'll spend, at least there'll be some 
justice there in terms of you know a few years in jail until he dies and then you know i mean those schools were awful and and it's just to add on things like sexual abuse to 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 the list of of awful things that went on at those schools it's Mm -hmm. it's just brutal yeah certainly brutal and i think um much like how the Man, the Billy McKillicuddy shone a bright light on the situation in McAdam. There's certainly a bright light shown on the horrors and atrocities that are associated with residential schools and with sexual abuse uh, coming from members of, you know, the clergy of the Catholic Church. So this is just another story, I think, that gets that back in the news and mm-hmm. loudens the call for answers and accountability uh in relation to all this stuff but i just think like um i wish they had got this guy 30 years ago well that's the thing it's it's it sucks that it's taken this long to to get this guy it's Mm -hmm. and i don't know it's just you feel awful for the victims and you feel it's, you know, and putting someone in at 92 or whatever age he is, you know, it doesn't feel like full justice, but at least it's something. We need something light to end this. We can't go out on this note, Aaron. What do you, what do you got? To, how, how can you lift this up here? How can I lift this up? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a, yeah, I'll that, have to put how on do you, like when you talk about here. sexual abuse at a residential school and a 92 year old man mm-hmm. going to prison, what's a light way to top that off? A light way to top it off. Um, I don't know. That's, that's again, it's a lot of pressure on me. I don't have anything light on my mind right now. I've, I've, that story has, you know, Okay, well, let me me down. You have something. I got something here. I got a good letter to my mailbox. Uh, This is oh, this is like a handwritten letter. Yeah, I love when I get these. I have so I have a PO box as well that people can write to, and Mm. uh, this is what's cool about this. I got this just the other day. It's a handwritten note, two pages long, but it's handwritten and then photocopied. So it's like they wrote it on paper, then photocopied the paper. And mailed me the paper. Why the hell would they do that? I don't know. This is coming from uh, Ontario. I'm just going to read you a little bit of it. Because this is going to become an episode. of. Mm -hmm. I kind of have another series that I do. UFOs Above Canada. This is likely going to form one of those episodes. Here's how it starts. I always enjoy the mail I get. Good day, Jordan. My story concerns UFOs and humanoids. Which we collectively call aliens. The stories connect to multiple family members. Many in my family have not come to grips to speak publicly about our encounters with these humanoids. The stories date back some 60 years, maybe even longer. I presented some information to some of my unaware relatives several times over the past 50 years. Three of my key witnesses have passed away now. The visitation started for me when I was quite young, as early as five years old, possibly even earlier. Sometimes my timelines have gotten confused, but the experiences were all quite real. I can show you where certain events occurred, but actual exact times of the different events I can only approximate. The most extraordinary event happened in Niagara Falls along the Welland River. My father and uncle and my mother's cousins were abducted and examined by our visitors. After the incident, the three men did not speak to each other for several years. My second cousin never really did snap out of it. It took my father a few years, but he eventually came around and accepted reality. It would take me a long time to write everything down about everyone. The details of our family members may not be easy to acquire because of possible ridicule from the rest of the family. Some would rather just forget anything ever happened. And as far as myself, I've had multiple visitations from several different races of humanoids. And then, of course, there was a visit from the men in black, and it was as real as it could be. Two friends of mine had attained a copy of Operation Blue Book, which was written in 73 or 74. They were very secretive about it. Nothing had been blacked out in this copy. It was a strange meeting that day. I knew somehow already what was in the book, even before they showed it to me. And the sad part of this is the two people that disappeared from my town within a week of the men in black paying 
Oh, and the sad part of this is those two very people disappeared from town within a week of the men in black paying a visit to our town and never saw them again. And then they go on to give me their contact information and uh, mm. offer to share the story and invite me to get involved in their investigation, which with which, which could be going on yeah. in that area. That's a cool mm -hmm. letter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I dig a, a written letter from uh, about UFOs is always like a good day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this up, Aaron. Yeah, let's wrap her up. Until next time, uh, cut down on single-use plastics. Uh, yeah, let's both say the same thing this time. You know, try to cut down on single-use plastics. I want to thank you for joining Aaron and I for our Keep Canada Weird discussion. But before we part, I have some thanks. First, a big thanks to Aaron for spending an evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A big thanks to the Internet's favorite cult leader, Unicol, for supplying the intro and outro voiceovers. But most importantly, I have a massive thanks to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, please listen on the premium feed. And not only does the premium feed keep the show alive, it'll give you more of each topic than you find here on the free feed as I'm adding exclusive content regularly and maintain a full catalog of back episodes only on the premium feed. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, give the show a pat on the back at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest subscribers, Greg, Rin, Duke, and Werewolf Kennels, Thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it with a premium feed subscription, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting some like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas, if you'd like to give feedback on the show, or if you want to contribute a voice memo to an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. Aaron and I hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other. Hug your loved ones tight, and let us know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.